There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk Good morning and welcome to the Go Radio Business Show with Sir Tom Hunter and Lord Willie Hockey. I'm Donald Martin, editor of The Herald and Herald on Sunday, and your host as we discuss the latest headlines and share brilliant and free advice from the boardroom. We're also joined this morning by Darina Garland, co-founder of Uni, the outdoor pizza oven brand. Don't forget, if you ever miss an episode, simply search for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. And if you have a question for Tom and Willie, please email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. So, gentlemen, the UK government is betting big on nuclear reactors, large and small. Tom, should it form the backbone of the UK's energy system? Yeah, morning, Donald. Um, I think these things, um, we've talked about it before, and my opinion then and my opinion now is that nuclear needs to be part of the mix. If we look at France, France, about 70% of France's energy comes from nuclear. And that was because some time ago they decided to be secure in their energy. And maybe that looks as if they made the right decision all those years ago because energy now isn't just, oh, can we keep the lights on? It's a national security thing, as we now know with Russia and the Ukraine. The numbers today are that the UK as a whole is producing about 16% of their energy from nuclear. But the challenge is almost half of that is going to be retired by 2025. Up in Scotland, Hunterson closed. It's now closed. And the only remaining nuclear plant is in Tornest in East Lothian. And it's going to close a couple of years early, 2028. The Scottish government are against nuclear for whatever reason they're thinking about. Um, But Boris wants it to be 25% of the future. And he's willing to change the rules so that pension funds, etc. can invest. Because nuclear is costly and it is longer term. But because of technology advancements, Rolls-Royce are coming out with these called mini-nukes, which are more cost-effective and quicker to build. But it's got to be part of the mix of, of taking oil and gas from the North Sea and transitioning, not just switching off, but transitioning over to renewables. So yes, I believe nuclear is part of the solution. Willie, as Tom says, the Scottish government's taking a different tack and it's shutting down nuclear and doesn't support new oil and gas fields. Are we up here taking the sensible green approach? I think, uh, to answer your question, it it certainly shouldn't be the backbone, but I agree with Tom, it has to be part of the mix. What I'd be intrigued to find out is what the charges are to the end users in France in relation to 70% coming from nuclear. Um, So it'd be good to see, but I think that a lot of people have had opinions, especially the Greens, uh, over the last couple of years in relation to, no, we should outlaw. The the, the problem that we have with that at the moment is 
they are saying that we shouldn't have fossil fuels. They are saying we should. Someone has to sit down, or an expert has to sit down and explain to them, well, you'll be left with nothing. Right? We cannot get the power. It would be fantastic if we could get all the energy that we required from solar, wind, turbine, you know, geothermal, whatever we could. That is going to take decades, and as Tom says, is going to take billions in infrastructure spend. So where is the money going to come from? Uh, we all agree, every week we say it, we'd all love to get to green tomorrow, right? So carbon neutral tomorrow. Unfortunately, what we need is we need a plan actually that stacks up, that is deliverable, and I'm sure that will be a mix. We can cut back on a reliance on some of the things that people don't like, but I think at the moment we actually need a few grown-ups in a room and actually come up with a policy that works. One of the solutions, of course, is onshore wind farms, and the UK Transport Secretary, Grant Sharp, described them as eyesores. Scotland's the main base for these, as planning rules in England have yet to be eased, and the SNP government has kind of waved through almost all applications on appeal, despite local objections. So, eyesores are opportunities, Willie. Well, to be honest with you, for the past six or seven years, I've never listened to a word that Grant Sharps has had to say. Uh, you know, anybody that changes their name to sell stuff online, you know what I mean? You've got to, it's kind of unbelievable, right? But I would just say that um, he doesn't know what he's talking about, right? That we, we would have thought back in the day that nuclear plants, you know, were ugly and, you know, that uh, gas-fired plants were... Everyone was ugly. Everything that we tried to do in major infrastructure, that any sort of emissions back in the day were ugly. The ugly truth is, is that we don't have the answer, right? Everyone is talking about things on a whim, yeah, and some somebody like Grand Sharp, who I think will find, I believe they're away getting reports, new reports dug up about fracking, right? We mentioned that a few months ago in the show. The first attempt they had at fracking in Lancashire, we believe the Blackpool Tower started to look like the Leaning Tower of Pisa, <laughs> and they had to stop within a day, right, of fracking. Oh, okay. So I think until... I want to hear from people who've got ideas about how we fix it rather than just what we shouldn't do. And unfortunately, you know, we hear a lot of things from the Greens about what we should do. And the SNP, to be fair, the same on... And, and, and so I'd like you know, you know, what, what's Labour's new policy? What is the perfect mix for us going forward? So, Tom... Is uh, Grant Sharps one of your pals? And or <laughs> and do you believe no. anything he says is it an eyesore or an opportunity? I can exclusively reveal I've never ever spoke to him either. <laughs> Good. Um, but I would actually like to congratulate the Scottish Government, not something I'm used to doing, but I think Scotland has taken a lead on onshore wind and I think that is a good thing. What I would like to see is more entrepreneurs, business people getting into the supply chain so that we create the jobs, the green jobs, as they're called, in the supply chain um, so that we're, we, we are perhaps making some of the technology here in Scotland and it's not all going abroad and all we are picking up is a rental for the land, etc. But the SNP government have put their wind turbine in the ground and made a stake, and I think it's to be applauded. Yeah, can I just say I agree with that? Yeah, they have to be applauded. Yeah, 100%. At least they had a goal at trying to come up with a solution. 
Well, Kate Forbes obviously talked tough about putting pressure on firms to deliver these green jobs linked to the Scotland offshore leasing development. How confident are you both, given we created just 20,000 of the 130,000 jobs Alex Salmon promised as we became the Saudi Arabia of offshore renewables? Just a nonsense again, where people have to throw out a big number to you know get the people on board to vote for them. And, and people, unfortunately, history will show you, they're never held accountable, right? But what we just what we are learning is people now that, you know, you, you can't fool all the people all of the time and be wary of numbers that politicians, right, throw out there. Um, because for me, there was never going to be 130,000 jobs in the timescale that Alex Salmon said there would. Tom, was that 130,000 figure unrealistic rhetoric, as Willie's saying? And should we instead be applauding having 20,000 jobs so far? Yeah, um, I totally agree with Willie on this one. And there was actually a, a very good piece by your own Tom Gordon in The Herald about um, yeah. when, when, when governments don't hit their target, they just redefine the rules and say, oh, hey, presto, we made it, which is a nonsense as well. But I, I actually think we should applaud the 20,000. Let's remember, governments don't create jobs. Business people, entrepreneurs create the jobs. The government should be creating the environment and then let the entrepreneurs and business people, let them create, let them compete on a level playing field and then we will create the jobs. That's how it works. Governments don't create the jobs. Well, the EU is threatening to throw a spanner in the works in terms of attempts in Scotland and the UK to, to boost local supply chains. They say that the Contracts for Difference support scheme favours UK firms in breach of world trade organisation principles. Is that fair or is it a real concern, you know? We're out of Europe now, but still... We're out of the EU. But they're going to the World Trade Organization. Yeah, so they're using the WTO to beat us over the head. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That's that's an interesting one. It'll be interesting to see if uh, the Scottish government require the UK government to defend them on it. (laughs) But no, that, that one is hilarious. Uh, well, la- last week, moving on, Stuart Patrick told us that Glasgow and Edinburgh have retained their top five spots among the leading tech locations in the UK outside of London. Do you think we make the most of marketing our tech credentials and success here in Scotland, Tom? Um, no, because it is a big success, Donald. Um, recently, I was an investor in a company called TV Squared, which was mm. born and grown in Edinburgh. And um, we sold it to an Israeli-founded business listed on the New York Stock Exchange. And the Israeli founder came to Edinburgh. And one of the reasons he bought the business was because of the talent in Edinburgh. He absolutely loved the talent that was being grown in Edinburgh. So I think it's one of our success stories. We have looked at our brilliant university base We have actually got universities teaching people where the jobs are going to be. And there is big competition now between um, firms to attract and retain talent. We've talked about it a lot. And Glasgow and Edinburgh are at the forefront of this. So we should be shouting this from the rooftops. Shouting it from the rooftops, Willie? The only problem we have with tech is it's too easy transferable. And Tom will tell you, every time we start to build a really decent company, 
someone from the States or China comes along and snaps them up. We never, no, no they would say, yeah, that's as, as an entrepreneurial success. The problem is, I would like to see it that when Scottish Enterprise or, or other institutions are putting money into back tech startups and scale ups, I would just love to see it that they remain to manufacture and operate in, the, in Scotland. So, Tom, what can and should we do to keep them here in Scotland? Yeah, so what I would say to that is that um, in this particular case, the jobs are staying in Scotland and indeed they're growing because um, this, this company has a tech base in Israel, in New York and now in Edinburgh. And Edinburgh is seen as at the forefront of this. So as long as we keep producing the talent, which is down to our education system, that company is going to grow. And if we look across the water to Ireland and Dublin, what Dublin did, which Scotland didn't do, Scotland had Silicon Glen, but those were screwdriver jobs. And those are the ones, Willie, that are very easily transferable. In fact, my own wife worked in, in, in the factory there and there was 400 women in the factory and for an extra or a less 50 pence an hour, they moved it all to um, Eastern Europe and those jobs were lost. But the jobs that are not lost and what Dublin and Ireland have been great at is the sticky jobs, the jobs that are the real um, engineering jobs, the jobs that are the... Um, the computer analyst jobs, those jobs are not easily movable. And as long as we're growing our own, so through our schools, through our fantastic universities, then those jobs are not as easily transportable to someone else. And in, in, indeed, someone in Edinburgh now coming out of university with the correct degree in engineering, I know you always talk about heating engineers, etc. Et but somebody coming out with the correct engineering qualifications, going into a tech job, they can get paid right up there on a world scale, not a UK scale, a world scale. And that's something we should be proud of. Really? Yeah, uh, it's actually the manufacturing jobs I was talking about, Tom. It was more the screwdriver jobs I was talking about. You're right. Yeah. When, it, the, when the IP is the intellect, you've got a chance of retaining the jobs there. So, but to answer the question, no, we don't do enough. We don't do enough. You know, why, why, you know, we've had an attempt with a couple of mini wee Silicon Valleys, you know, we'd one done in Greenock, you know, with a couple of things outside in, in Lovian, you know, West Lovian. So I, I think that the answer is we, we just don't do enough. Another subject that we ran out of time uh, to talk about was the £570 million takeover of John Menzies by the Kuwaiti Group National Aviation Services. I take it you welcome that as good news for Scottish business, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I think we we did discuss it briefly before and what I said was as long as it's a, a level playing field, then we should um, accept and welcome outside investment into Scotland. Um, as long as those jobs aren't going to get taken away from us, but those jobs actually can't be taken away in Scotland because they're working in the airports, etc. John Mingy's, as I knew it, used to be the newspaper shop, but but they changed their whole business and then into airline services, etc. So I think it's a success, but let's let's look at it in five years and see if the foreign investor has invested and if Scotland has came out of this on top. 
Really? I would say that I think they got that wee premium that they got for the exposure that we gave them, <laughs> the PR that we gave them over the last few weeks. Uh, Willie, Glasgow is to benefit from a £2 million Scottish government funding to create a European-style cafe culture. It'll also pay for a deep clean and tackle the number of vacant shops. Is there a local election on the horizon? <laughs> yeah. The problem you've got is you can't get to the cafes because your tyres burst in the pothole. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. Yes, there is local elections coming up, and trust me, that that won't make people vote one way or another. But people will think that. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting that, you know, Back in the old days when you seen tables and chairs out in the pavement here, it was an eviction, now it's a, now it's a hipster co- coffee shop. But more seriously, is it not the right way forward for the city? Yeah. Anything at all that's going to enhance the offer to the city, and this is the way that most other cities are going now, so you've got this whole culture. Um, and, 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 the, and the thing about it is, is, yes, it is a good thing, but there's so many other things in the city that that £2 million could be spent on that would have a greater impact for the people of Glasgow. What's your view, Tom? So, I've been thinking about this because I've been listening to Willie going on about Glasgow and him being disappointed about its cleanliness, the lawlessness of feral kids running about and all the rest of it. And I think it comes down to one thing, which is leadership. So... I travel to Manchester quite a lot these days and Manchester with the cranes, when you do the crane index, it's a booming place. And there must be a place in Scotland for big cities to have some sort... I mean, imagine Willie being in charge of Glasgow City Council. That's that's something I would really welcome. Oh, I, I know, can we, I know can we run a poll looking, on that in know, the Herald? I know Willie's not looking for a job. <laughs> But but Willie would know how to fix it. And I think sometimes people get into positions of power in local authorities and they've got huge budgets. I mean, eye-watering budgets. And frankly, a lot of people are out of their depth. And I think they need someone, is it a mayor, is it a business leader sitting alongside them to say, right, let's get this done. Because I tell you what, if Willie was running Glasgow City Council, Glasgow wouldn't look the way it looks today. So, <laughs> Mayor Hockey, because um, this is going to be your Ta- new talking position. About, talking about your pal thrown under a bus. <laughs> right. You're now running Glasgow. What are you doing about it, Willie? Oh, dear. Um, well, if I, if I was running Glasgow, the first thing I would do is I would get the city centre sorted. I would get it that people felt safe coming to Glasgow and they felt that the place was clean and this was a go-ahead, vibrant city. There's a there's a rottenness getting in in the centre of the town and as we mentioned with these young people that are taking over, I would just encourage everybody in Glasgow that has got a voice in the city centre to let people hear it honestly about the things that we have to do to fix it, right? Because I'm really concerned that, uh, you know, the, the way that the city centre has went back the way, especially during COVID and even now as we're coming out of it and seeing that, I think when there was no people in the town, these young people went in and took over and I think really we need to kind of sort that out. Surely, surely with the people that we've got in place, working with the police, we we cannot stand back and allow this to ruin our city centre. Why do you think people are standing back or are we just not seeing the actions? I think the average man in the street and the average entrepreneur who owns a shop in the town are expecting leadership 
from and they're expecting support from the police and from the council and the various bodies, whatever, to help them. If anybody goes out and gets involved with these people, then they're in trouble. You know, someone was seriously assaulted by them last week in Royal Exchange Square. So if you've got anything to say to them or you tell them to behave themselves or do whatever they want to do, then you get involved in an altercation with them. But I do believe now, but people are ready to speak up. Well, that's great. I can see Go Radio, the Glasgow Times and the Herald all getting behind your campaign to be mayor, Willie. But, uh... <laughs> I think as well, Donald, there is a parallel here to look across the water to New York. And New York was in a hell of a state not that long ago, but a series of really strong leadership, first with Giuliani, then with Mayor Bloomberg. New York is back up there, probably where it where it belongs. So it does need leadership. It does need people to say, yeah, we're going to fix it. And people who know what they're talking about. Leadership is everything here. Oh, this is going to be great. I think this will run and run. <laughs> but coming up after the break, we'll be talking to Darina Garland, co-founder and joint CEO of Uni, the outdoor pizza oven brand. Don't forget, if you want to join the boardroom, you can put your questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business digitise its documents. Go There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we turn the guest spotlight on Darina Garland, co-founder and co-chief exec of Uni, the outdoor pizza oven brand. If you want free business advice or have a question for Tom and Willie, simply email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and if you ever miss an episode, you can catch it by searching for the Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey on your favourite podcast channel. But before we talk to Darina, in the latest of our brilliant series on Great Scots, we tell the story of the Thompson family. The story of publishing giants DC Thompson begins with William Thompson II, an apprentice draper from Fife who moved to Dundee in 1838 to launch his own shipping company. The business prospered, and within a few years William owned a fleet of merchant vessels when he began to look for other investment opportunities. In 1866, he established a woolen merchants. He also turned his attention to publishing, taking a financial interest in the Dundee Courier and the Weekly News, eventually buying them both outright in 1886. By now, William's son, David Cooper Thompson, was running the printing and publishing side of the family business, now known as W&DC Thompson. Under David's management, newspaper circulation rocketed with the weekly news increasing from 60,000 copies when he took it over to a quarter of a million by the mid-1890s. William Thompson died in 1896 at the age of 80, but the business he founded continued to flourish and in 1905 the company merged with a rival Dundee publishing house to become DC Thompson. They increased their portfolio of interests with publications such as The Scots Magazine, The People's Friend, The Evening Telegraph and The Sunday Post. 
David Cooper Thompson continued as chairman of the company, but it was his nephew Harold who was the driving force behind their expansion of publishing interests, particularly in the field of comics. Titles such as The Adventure, The Rover and The Wizard, all launched in the early 1920s, were targeted towards a younger audience, and in 1936, Harold introduced a fun section to the Sunday Post which became home to the iconic cartoon characters such as Urwali and the Bruins. The following year saw the arrival of a brand new publication aimed at children, The Dandy, which unlike other comics at the time, used speech bubbles instead of captions under the frame. The Dandy was followed eight months later by The Beano, and a new era for DC Thompson had begun. DC Thompson continued to grow into one of the UK's leading media businesses, expanding into the world of books, television and media. A hundred years after it was first formed, DC Thompson was producing over a hundred million comics, magazines and newspapers every year, from offices in Dundee, Glasgow, Manchester and London. Today, DC Thompson has an annual revenue of £245 million and its four directors, Christopher, Andrew, Richard and David, are all descendants of the company's original founder, William Thompson II. Well, it's a brilliant company. Uh, I was fortunate enough to edit the Sunday Post in the Weekly News. Uh, love them to bits. Willie, what do you make of them? What a story. Fantastic story. And still thriving and, you know, and, and growing today. Um, that obviously, you know, I remember as a kid, it's funny that the, the genius that thought about putting the comedy section into the post with the Bruins and Willie, because that's what you'd make your mum and dad buy the paper for. So you always remembered that and couldn't wait to get it. And then when the Dandy and the Beano and reading about Roy Rovers, you know, in the comics was amazing. Yeah, big, big part of my life growing up was everything that DC Thompson done. Was that a big part of your life then, Tom? Um, well, no, I didn't have time to read the Bruins or Urwilly. Oh, you're afraid. missing out. Oh, I know. It's, it's a sign of a misspent youth. But um, I, I just love the ambition of these businesses when they were born out. We've talked about it before. You know, people then trying to get round the country, travel around the world. But these people had global ambitions and... Um, I know the Thompson family today and, and they put the journalism into jam and journalism. And of course, our friend Chris van der Kuyl put joysticks in there as well to create the games industry up in Dundee. So another fantastic, great Scott. Good on them. Let me tell you a funny story about this. Obviously, remember in the Bruins, Hen Bruin was the big tall guy, right? <laughs> Jimmy Johnson in his heyday was out at a function and he come back to his house to find Willie Henderson in his house with five of the Harlem Globetrotters. <laughs> right? Right? They were doing a world tour and they'd been in the Kelvin Hall and they'd been out for a bevy. Pub shot at 10 o'clock in those days and Willie says, I know where we can get a drink. Right? So they all went back to James. He was then. James is telling me the story the next day and he says, I went home in my house last night and I walked in and there was five hen bruins in there. <laughs> <laughs> We're now joined by Darina Garland, co-founder and co-chief exec of Uni, the outdoor pizza oven brand. Welcome to the show, Darina. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, Uni's been one of the biggest lockdown successes with everyone wanting to create fantastic outdoor experiences. Tell us about your journey from the beginning as a company and where the idea for super fast portable pizza ovens came from? Uh, yes, of course. So we started, um, myself and my husband Christian, 
founded UNI in 2012, so this November will be our 10-year anniversary, we call it, um, which is exciting. Um, yeah, so back in 2012, that's when we actually launched Eddie on Kickstarter. But to go a tiny bit backwards from that, we were actually running an education business that was focused on trying to empower those within the learning systems, young people and teachers to have more say um, and build creativity and innovation within schools. So there's a tiny segue there in terms of, you know, innovation and creativity is problem solving. And Christian's problem back then was that he started getting quite good at making pizzas, but he was frustrated that they were just good. So, you know, there weren't anything like you could get in a pizzeria or in Italy. Um, and yeah, he looked at what was on the market. And at that time, there was a very kind of exclusive niche products that were huge installations, kind of £1,500 worth plus. And we didn't have the space or the money for that. So Christian was like, I can't believe something more accessible and more affordable doesn't uh, doesn't exist. So he is quite a practical guy and just started prototyping. So yeah, the, the, the idea of the business basically came out of that first product, um, which we tested and found it really worked. And there's so, you know, so many things I can say about that, but that was where it all kind of kicked off back then. Hi, Darina. I'm delighted you're on the show today because what what Willie and I are trying to do is inspire others to start up or grow their business. And I think your and Christian's story is a story worth being told, singing, singing our successes from the rooftops. So you're very welcome on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so I want to ask about just starting and growing your business in Scotland and the help that was available to you. Yeah. Do you think that was um, good help? Do you think we can do more to help other businesses? What do you think? Because you're you're living, eating and breathing it every day. Yeah, for sure. Well, we actually kicked off first in London. So we started in 2012 in London and moved up to Scotland in 2015. Um, and then it felt really different straight away. So I've got lots of kind of positives to say about moving the, the business back here, where I'm from. Christian's from Finland, so this wasn't his home country, but he absolutely loved Scotland. And so we felt like it was yeah. a good place to come first and foremost. Um, and then like we did things like join um, the Scottish Edge Network when we came up straight away and you know won a, a award there. We got involved with things like eSpark and we of course you know we took part in the Scale Up Scotland program so which was a really excellent so on the whole it felt like there was a really good support network in Scotland for the sort of early stage we were at then and we were quite kind of front-footed and you know used to make an introduction so we kind of I think we were proactive there and trying to make the connections but I found that there's a, a load of really good resource and loads of really good people at yourself included trying to you know help get us beyond this like volatile startup stage into something really big so yeah of course there's stuff that can be improved but I I always I talk about this quite often that when I went to Silicon Valley people were like oh everyone in Silicon Valley helps you you just have to ask you know you could be talking to a Netflix executive in the queue at Starbucks and I'm like Scotland is like that <laughs> you know, obviously many people are so keen to help but definitely feels like a business community so um, and we met so many peer businesses that we talk to daily still so I think it's a really great place to, to do business and scale. Brilliant so and if, if I could just 
follow up here because I think it's really important because Scotland sometimes we we beat ourselves up about oh this isn't good enough that's not good enough but I think the support mechanism for starting and growing your business in Scotland is second to none yeah and what I've found is that people want you to succeed Darina even competitors sometimes want you to succeed and that's what I've saw at Edge and I've saw at Scale Up Scotland so I'm glad we're hearing it from yourself brilliant definitely yeah Darina morning hello Darina can I ask you from you started in 2012 or since you actually came to Scotland how many people are you employing now yeah in terms of the people we are 294 today wow yeah so and we were the start of lockdown we were 40 people so yeah, most of it remote, so it's kind of an interesting journey. So can I ask you at this level now, do you believe you're another level now for scale up? Do you have to go again? Oh God, we're we're only getting started. <laughs> we're definitely only getting started. Yeah. But the growth has been really epic and we genuinely just feel like we're getting started. It's not patter, you know, whilst we're I think that's it's nice to speak to people like Sir Tom because one of the things that a lot of people have said for years, like, oh, well done, Annie, you're doing so well. And like we, we kind of are, but, you know, we still feel like we're tiny. Like, I love sitting next to someone at a business dinner and it turns out they're um, CEO of Tesco's, which happened recently. And they're like, you know, I've got 400,000 staff or whatever he had. And so it may, it's really kind of helpful to get that perspective from bigger companies because we think we've got a lot of runway in terms of what we still have to do. How many are you exporting? Uh, so America's our biggest market, roughly about 50%. It kind of always has been the, the North, North America generally. We've got an office in Austin, Texas now, about probably about 50 people. Um, we have an office in um, just outside Cologne in Germany. So that kind of part of Europe is a really big market for us. Um, Germany, France, lots of other places in the EU. Um, the UK does well. I think it does disproportionately well, considering, you know, outdoor cooking is usually the sport of like a solitary man with a golf umbrella, right? And but because it's such a joined up island and like it's easy to communicate and word of mouth has been such a massive tool for us in our growth, we do really well here too, which, which is good. So can I ask you, I'm obviously operating in Australia where the outdoors is a big, big part of everyone's entertainment. Are you supplying the ready or do you get plans to open in Australia? Yes, we already sell with distributors in, in kind of other parts of the world. We've got a uni international team that sell, you know, I think we're in something like 80 plus countries wow. um, around the world. And Australia is a key market for us, yeah. We're just talking about putting people on the ground and growing a team there at the moment. So that's really exciting. Fantastic, fantastic. And, and Darina, I know a big part of what you talk about when we get you to talk at events, etc., trying to encourage others to scale up is about the culture in your business. Yeah. So what's what's the big learnings you've had for any listeners who are sitting there thinking, wow, what a story. I wonder if I could do it in my business. What's the big learnings about culture? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I love talking about culture. I think that Loads of people told us that you can't really keep it as you scale. And like I said, we still feel like we're quite tiny in comparison to other kind of hero brands. But so say as you grow from 30 to 50, you lose your culture and you go from, you know, 80 to 100. These are key points. You don't know people's names and you can't connect in the same way. But I think what we did was 
just make sure we really prioritize that as a kind of key business goal and really meaning that. So like we hire by our values, we reward via values and like call out that when people demonstrate those. Yeah, we talk to the team a lot. So every time someone's on board, we say that you're genuinely helping us scale. We want you to have fresh eyes on the business, challenge things and authentically so, you know, we weren't CEOs before this, but we had a business, but it was a different level much more like a small consultancy and then we've not done this before so we're kind of quite humble in that way that we want to learn from everyone we bring in quite often we do things like employee net promoter scores and make sure that we're talking to people and keeping a pulse like one of our values is passion so we have a passion fund that everyone gets every year to spend on themselves like 500 pounds every year just to go kind of what are you into so that we make sure that we're invested in the whole person it shouldn't really about be about work at all it's like what are you into? We love people who are passionate here. We don't want you just to have only a work life. We want you to, you know, invest in mountain climbing gear. Like, yeah, um, in a nutshell, it's making sure that um, like people know that you are hiring the whole person and that we care about the individuals in the team. And that keeps coming back to us all the time that they actually feel that, um, which is really important to us because if we don't have good people. We don't have very much. So talking of good people, here's a tough question for you. You're co-chief exec with your husband, Christian. How does that work in practice and who ultimately calls the shots? <laughs> Great question. So I, it's an interesting one. So Christian and I, um, have all, I've never felt like Christian was my boss. So I don't know, it's just because I, I, like Uni's half mine and we've had, we're so complimentary in terms of our sets. So when it happened that like we were talking about this it was almost like formalizing what I was already doing so the role is Christian's much more product focused quite into the future and thinking about the next the roadmap of course I'm definitely kind of owning culture and people um outwards marketing the voice and the story of uni so it's really it genuinely is quite complimentary Christian's much more detailed orientated than I am much more macro and I would be, say positive. Christian's not not positive, but I'm definitely like off the chart. So we have a really amazing exec team as well. So we've always had quite a collaborative kind of leadership team, which I'm, you know, when I talk to other businesses, I'm really grateful for that we have this um, yeah, trusted exec. So um, it's okay. It's pretty good. And when it comes to who makes decisions, like ultimately we don't tend to disagree too much, but when we do, Christian and I have to talk about it and then decide which hill we're going to die on and where to concede. And um, it's been okay so far. <laughs> so You've got far. to talk about it and then <laughs> and then do what you want, Darina. Is that it? <laughs> no, that's not true. No, you know, like, it's, I think uh, it's really important that, that Christian feels like his voice is heard. I think, like, honestly, the fact that the rest of the exec team, apart from one who's American or Scottish, are all quite, like, you know, Celtic and talk over each other and really animated and he's Finnish and more thoughtful and quiet so you're like you have to make sure that his voice is in the mix too but um, the lack of kind of arguments when it comes to it across the years has been really good you know we have got a decision making system if we really don't see that and so far so good so, Darina can I ask you have you been affected at all there's been a lot being said recently about supply chain problems about yeah. increases in prices have you been affected Oh, God, yeah. Like, it was absolutely horrific. Our prices went up, like, 400% um, for shipping. What we found during the pandemic was that because Uni is a safe 
and fun thing to do outdoors. People really, really wanted it. So we're suddenly, you know, we had really strong growth before, but suddenly it went off the chart because it was one of the things you were able to do. And, you know, restaurants were closed, so people were looking for good food at home and, and invested in their back gardens like never before. And, you know, so all the hot tubs and everything happening. But supply chain was really challenging for us, um, being able to make things fast enough. We had millions of pounds worth of stock on the Suez Canal on the Ever Given at one point, you know, tied up for months and months and had to do, oh, it was really complicated because some of these were pre-ordered, customers were prepared to pre-order for things and then wait, which was amazing to see. There was really that demand, but then clearly delays. So a lot of communication around, you know, this is what's happened and just being as authentic as possible and clear as possible what's going on and offering options, you know, um, but yeah, it was definitely our, our um, chief operating officer had a, a challenging couple of years just trying to deal with it. And that team, you know, constantly looking at how we can get containers that are affordable. Um, yeah, it still is quite challenging, but yeah, I guess we've learned a lot. Can I ask, is energy a big part of your manufacturing process? So is that a big problem for you with the price hike? Yeah, I mean, like everything, we're kind of keeping a, a close eye on it. Um, we manufacture the majority of things in China, so we'll see what happens. Like COVID has been much more disruptive of late. We've got some team actually in Shanghai. I just heard today that they're on full shutdown. They're, you know, they can't even leave their house to get groceries. So we're kind of looking into the personnel challenges at the moment. But I mean, having a war in the world, uh, especially one that's so unjust, is is clearly not good for any business. And finally, from me, if you're doing much to your manufacturing in China. The 290 people that you employ, what, what do they do? We use um, like third-party manufacturing partners for manufacturing. So the 290 people are across our business are from you know marketing, sales, product team, operations team, um, our exec team. We've got our software team. We've got impact team are dealing with like all of our impact funds and our sustainability stuff. What else? I forget loads of teams. We've got a experience team. You know, we have that grown massively as we, you know, endeavour to have made uh, comms to everybody. I'd love to come and visit you one day to see the place. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. We always uh, kick off meetings with pizzas, as you can imagine. Doreena, I just want to say it's a brilliant Scottish success story. Thank you. From Scotland to the world and you're overcoming all these challenges I mean, these challenges that are coming to face you every day, I think this is one of the most challenging time to be in business and trying to export from Scotland. But you, Christian, and the team there are doing a fantastic job. And I'm just glad Edge and Scale Up Scotland are a small part of your journey. So we're very proud of you. So more power to your elbow. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for all your help too. It's been amazing to be able to ask all the questions that we've done and, and be connected. So I appreciate your work in it to always try and make it better here in Scotland. But it is a great place to do business, I think. Great place. Well, the weather is turning for the better, so we'll be out making pizzas very soon. Thank you, Dorina. After the break, we go into the boardroom where Tom and Willie answer your questions and offer free business advice. If you want to take part, simply email your questions to go business at thisisgo.co.uk. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions. Helping your business with IT support, data security and more. Go Radio. 
There are lots of things a business needs to help it run efficiently. Document management, printing, IT support, digitization, data security and more. As a true managed service provider, Workflow Solutions can help with these and a wide range of other business needs. Saving time and money for businesses across the UK. Help your workflow with Workflow Solutions, the work from anywhere experts. Visit workflo-solutions.co.uk The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey. Welcome back as we go into the boardroom with Hunter and Hockey and answer your calls with free business advice, insight and inspiration. If you want your questions read out in the show or wish to speak directly to Tom and Willie, you can email gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk. We've had an email from Lyft Engineering Solutions and they're based in Neilston and they're looking for advice about how to grow their business. Right, we're a small company who undertake lift refurbishment, modernisation, installation and servicing throughout Scotland. The business is profitable and doing well and we're in demand as a subcontractor for multinational lift companies. How do we make the move from being a subcontractor to selling our services to companies ourselves? Any advice would be appreciated. Willie? Well... I can tell you straight away that uh, this is one sector where there is a cartel, <laughs> right? Oh. <laughs> and it is very, very difficult to break the big guys. There'll always be work for you as a sub before them because you, you can never, there's never enough lift engineers, right? So it's it's one of the worst disciplines, the, the services that we have to deliver because it's so tough and you know the the big guys have got it sorted out and how they how they deliver spare parts to you they've kind of got you you know in, in a place where it's really difficult to break out and and actually to become a bigger lift servicing company will be very very difficult but you can you can become a good sized medium company helping support the two or three big players in the industry tom how can the company cope with the ups and downs of business hey oh dear <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely leaving the jokes to Willie. <laughs> uh, Willie does the jokes, as we know in this show. Yeah. Um. So listen, Willie knows a lot more about this sector than I do. So I would, I would listen to Willie in this one. And basically, being a good subcontractor isn't a bad place to be. I would say, Willie. Yep. And you can probably grow into a pretty big business doing that efficiently. I mean, what? What do you think about growing a, a subcontractor, Willie? Yeah, that's what I was saying. So if if they're doing well and they're growing there, just continue to do that. But I would honestly say that kind of set your sights on and maybe being double the size that you are. But but it'd be very very difficult to try and become a Schindler's or a Coney, you know, a, a, or a Siemens, whatever, or the big guy where where it's huge capital outlay for actually the installation, you know, of the lifts. So I would say, yeah, there's still plenty of scope to grow the business, but I think it would be being grown into a bigger subcontractor. Another email question says that uh, Pepsi reversed its decision to send Scottish seed potatoes to Russia following talks with farmers, and it's going to cost them 600000 plus compensation for the farmers. How important is it for businesses to have clear brand values to guide their ethical and moral compass? Willie? 
<laughs> well, I think it's nice to have a moral compass as long as you can afford it and it doesn't put you out of business. Um, I've got no doubt going forward, you know, we've mentioned it every week, ESG is very, very important now, especially if you're a business that requires funding from institutions. But it's great making a stance on whatever grounds, but you have to make sure it's not to the complete detriment of your business and you're not there at all. What's your view, Tom? Well... I think with dealing with Russia, some things are more important than profits, Donald. And um, we shouldn't be dealing with Russia if you're a business. We need to take a stand and say this is a very unjust war. The pictures coming out at night, I can hardly watch the TV. And um, Willie's right, though, you know, if if it means a loss of jobs back home, then that's a huge decision to take. But if you can... Do not do business with Russia. Totally agree. So do you think too many companies treat brand values as a tick box exercise? Or is it really important for creating the right culture? I, I think now today, um, I read it again this morning in relation to you know, some of the biggest financial institutions in the world now, where it's actually they're not accepting that people just say to them, yes, this is our environmental policy, this is our social policy. There's a whole push now to actually dig right in Right to see where you many layers down from the top. It's not enough now to say we have a board, we have five women on it, we have everyone represented. You know we're an equal opportunities company. People are now saying we want to see proof, right? And at a lot lower levels than that. I was actually watched that on Bloomberg this morning. So I think it's 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 not just a a, a box ticking exercise now. Tom, yeah, I think customers and employees can see through a tick box exercise and when you're in a business and every business fights for customers and every business needs to fight to attract and retain talent and if those two markets think you're phony and you're not genuine they're not going to come to you they're not going to buy your product they're not going to work for you and you won't have a business anymore yeah, people, and Tom's mentioned this over and over again, that when he talks about taxes, our money, people forget the investments from big pension funds, billions of billions, all come from the people. So what they're doing is they're listening to the mood music of what, how people are thinking and what they're thinking in relation to, you know, the new equalities. To you know, So everyone is being very, very cautious now before they invest. That What they're doing is they're portraying to their investors that they are listening and they're trying to make sure that they're not putting their money where people would not like their money to be. Well, I think this show is living up to its brand values by delivering brilliant business insights. Unfortunately, that's all we've time for. But don't forget, you can put your business questions to Tom and Willie by emailing gobusiness at thisisgo.co.uk and you can give us feedback or get involved by visiting thisisgo.co.uk. If you ever miss an episode, simply search for The Go Radio Business Show with Hunter and Hockey wherever you get your podcast. The Go Radio Business Show with Workflow Solutions, a true managed service provider helping your business run effectively. Go.